With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, Packers fans, and welcome into the Green 19 podcast from JS Online and PackersNews.com. I'm Cassidy Hill, joined as always by Ryan Wood and Tom Silverstein here in our offices in Lambeau Field, where, guys, uh, things are starting to feel a little tense because we are 48 hours away from the big cut-down day. Spoon, I know you've been through a couple of these now. Um, I'm not it, tense. You're not, you're not yeah, tense. I'm not tense You can all. do this in the locker room, maybe. The things... It didn't feel that much today, but there were also were not a ton of guys in there. Packers did practice on Sunday. They will practice again Monday. LaFleur just kind of wants to see the guys one last time before they start making these cuts. But there was a cut this morning, Sunday morning, linebacker Ty Summers. He was the first of what will end up being 27, so they have 26 to go. That sound about is my math right? I'm in journalism, not math. I don't need to know numbers. Um, Ty Summers, where's the first cut? Let's just start there. Was that a surprise? Was that sort of expected? And and do you expect many more surprises over the next day or two here? Um, wasn't a surprise. He he went from being a core special teams player last year uh, to in practice he never cracked the first team. And so there was no way – I don't think his play at inside linebacker was going to carry him to a roster spot. His play on special teams would. But he never was able to crack the starters. And so uh, I really kind of thought that this was going to happen. He he played his butt off against Kansas City. He tried, but uh, he, they're just going with uh, – well. I don't know what caliber of player they're going with, but they're trying to go with a higher caliber of player. I don't think he was responsible for how poorly they played against Kansas City. I think it can be significant without it being a surprise. And it it is significant because each of the last three years, he's been a core guy on special teams. He's finished top four in reps on special teams each of the, the past three seasons. He led the team as a rookie in 2019 in special teams reps. Uh, but, he really got caught up in the midst of a, a, a transition in both phases, at both his defensive position and special teams. On special teams, Rich Passaccia has been bringing his guys in, the guys that played for him uh, in Las Vegas for the past couple seasons. So they've been transitioning to Passaccia guys there. And then inside linebacker, he was a casualty of the, the increased depth. I mean, I'm not sure any position on the roster – has seen uh, maybe defensive line, but even defensive line has seen its depth increase from last season to this season more than inside linebacker. And as Matt LaFleur said today, when you invest a first-round pick in that room, it changes things. And so 
They obviously have the All-Pro coming back in Devondre Campbell. They, they've got Quay Walker, who's going to be a starter. Chris Barnes has been a starter, now is number three. And Isaiah McDuffie has had a really good camp for himself. So he really fell off the top two lines of the depth chart there. When you do that in both phases, that's that's what happens. Is he also a casualty, like you said, Basatia brought some of his guys in, of Dallin Levitt being here and, and being able to sort of lead the special – y'all know Ty Summers better than I did, have covered him longer. So is – was that sort of the role he filled was what is now that Dallin Levitt role? Mm, you know, Ty Summers was uh, probably the number three inside linebacker last year. Uh, Oren Burks got some work there. But, um, no, I, I think it's a completely separate situation. I, I think Dallin Levitt uh, is here to mostly play special teams, but he's also – played the slot and he can play safety and I, he's probably a better position player than Ty Summers by a little bit. I think the thing that's really uh, noticeable to me is their top special teams guys the last couple of years, Summers, Burks, Randy Ramsey, they're all gone. So they're going, like Ron said, with Basaccia's guys. Dallin Levitt's going to be on the team. Keyshawn Nixon is going to be on the team, and he's going to play special teams. I don't know if Rico Gafford's going to make it, but he's another guy who played under Basacha. It's it's a whole new group, and um, why they're struggling so badly is kind of a mystery to me. Uh, you know, fundamentals are supposed to be his strength, and, you know, LaFleur said there were guys who really weren't playing that hard. So that was kind of interesting to me. I'm glad you brought that up because let's discuss it a little bit because a lot of these bubble guys will come down to what they do on special teams. So it is relevant. As LaFleur said, we got it taken to us pretty good by Kansas City on special teams Thursday night. They did. I mean, Kansas City out-returned them, out-gained them. I think the only place that, that the Packers really had the edge was at punter and Kansas City still has a pretty dang good punter, but, you know, Pat O'Donnell kind of did all he could, but his coverage was not there. And LaFleur said when they were watching the tape the next day, it was just, he was almost like flabbergasted. You know, you're, you're, he essentially said they were freelancing and and I'm putting a few words in his mouth, but essentially said the guys were just kind of doing their own thing and not showing any effort, which is something that you can control. That was something we heard about special teams last season and the season before that. Guys doing their own thing, not doing what they were coached, not showing any effort. And so will that be fixed somewhat, quote-unquote, when there's more consistency there? Because they did play a lot of guys on special teams. They rotated a lot through. And maybe having some of the starters there, which has been something that LaFleur has mentioned wanting to do to play more starters and – you know, those starters weren't playing in the preseason games, right? I thought the thing that stood out most about what Matt LaFleur said was that he played a lot of guys on the team's units to give them the best vetting process ahead of of final cuts. So they were giving it a hard look. Now, with that said, some of the things that, that just happened shouldn't happen no matter what. These are all professional football players, so you've got to be better there. And I think that what we, we are seeing – is that this is not going to be an overnight fix. When you have a team's unit, when you inherit a team's unit that was so bad, as bad as it was last year, I mean, could not be could not be worse. I mean, it was as bad as it can get at this professional level. You don't just get good overnight. It's a process. And I think that you're seeing a process 
I think it, it you know, it should be, and Matt LaFleur said it should be better than what it is right now. And he'd be lying if he said that he was real th- thrilled with where it's at. But with that said, it's going to be a process. Spoon, like we said, a lot of these bubble guys is going to come down to what they can do on special teams. A, a couple of those bubble guys, let's look at offense. Um, it, we've debated back and forth on how many wide receivers they might end up keeping. Some of the guys towards the bottom of that unit, Juwan Winfrey, Samari Toure, like, have has one of them edged out the other, so to speak? I mean, we've seen Samari sort of kept up, step up during the preseason, but Juwan Winfrey's been here. He knows this offense a little better. Yeah, Toure did exactly what a rookie needs to do when he's either not played that well or not gotten a lot of opportunities, which was the case with him. Amari Rogers the same, although Amari Rogers was going to make the team. But Ture did exactly what you need to do to make a 53-man roster, which is have a big game in the last the last game. You know, they gave him the opportunities, and he came through. He led all the receivers. Yeah, six yeah. catches, 83 yards, should have had a touchdown, was very close. Uh, now, that doesn't guarantee him a roster spot. Bottom line there is that they have to decide between Juwan Winfrey as a special teams player who's a gunner. He plays on um, punt return. Uh, He plays on kickoff return. So um, if they really like him, then they'll keep they'll keep Winfrey over over Toure. Now, will they lose Toure? I don't know. I don't know how much one game will will sway people, but he he definitely made it. Um, a statement. I thought it was interesting what Matt LaFleur said uh, in his first press conference after coming back from Kansas City. He was laying out how he and Brian Gutekinds can think in different timelines sometimes because as a head coach, you're thinking about today. You got to win today. and You worry about tomorrow, tomorrow, but today is today. And the GM... You sound like Scarlett O'Hara. I'm just, I'm giving my best Matt LaFleur coach speak here. Um, yeah, win one for the Gipper. But for the GM, it's the broad view. It's it's the 30,000-foot looking into the future, who's going to develop, who's got a better ceiling, where's the potential, and keeping the talent over the long course as well as today. And I think that Samari Touré and Juwan Winfrey really personify that because who's more ready today, well, especially if you listen to the quarterback here, right? you would think it's Juwan Winfrey, especially special teams. He's, he's done that a lot more at this level. And when the quarterback has your tr- trust, that's a good place to be in. But over the long term, we've seen Samari Touré really flash potential. His speed, his 4-4 speed, um, he, there's some something developed there that might be more than Juwan Winfrey. And so that's going to be the decision that has to be made. At the end of the day, it's Brian Gutekunst's decision, so that's that's interesting. You know what? I mean, I would bet that they could cut both of them yeah. and get them both back. I wouldn't be surprised if they did that. I, I think people, particularly us, um, overestimate what other teams are going to do. And someone was giving me some stats on that the other night about how many people actually get claimed after the cuts. And it's incredibly small amount of people who get claimed off of waivers because everybody has their own people and they've trained them and you know you better just be really convinced I mean Samari uh Turi was a seventh round pick for a reason you know he he wasn't 
all these teams had 250 whatever opportunities to draft him. So I, I think they could conceivably cut both of them and then put them on the practice squad and then decide what to do after that. I think it's more likely that they cut both of them than keep both of them. They're not keeping eight receivers. No. Six is much more likely than eight. Right. And the thing is then you can also make any kind of move if someone's hurt. You can put them on IR after the 53 and then call them up. I I just think that don't we shouldn't take for granted that one or the other is going to make it. You know, I, I just – I had Samari Torre on the projected 53 as the seventh receiver. But what I just said about Samari Torre, a guy that isn't quite ready to help now, but has something to develop and some potential there down the road, that's practice squad. That's what a practice squad player is. Don't forget Alan Lazard was cut. He was. Nobody picked him up, yeah. and, and he's going to be their number one receiver this year. So there you go. And to your point about – the different timelines. I think that's probably why Rogers has focused so much on like Winfrey too, you know, with the bottom of the receiver unit sort of guy, you know, looking at him because it, if Samari Torre has a higher ceiling, which I think it's fair to say he possibly does, that might be two to three years from now. Rogers isn't going to probably be here to care about that. True. Who can help him right now? That's Juwan Winfrey. Well, it's all special teams too. And that's the reason why I had Torre on my projected 53 because he's got the speed for special teams and he's he's a, a solid physical receiver. I, I've, I've been impressed with, with his, his physicality. So that can help you on special teams now. But as a receiver, you're absolutely right. I, you know, by the time Samari Torre is ready, Aaron Rodgers might not be throwing him the ball. Yeah, and let, let's look at it. For this year, Lazard, Cobb, Watkins, Watkins Watson, Dobbs. Oh, yeah, Dodge and Watson. Watson. Yeah, five. so that's five guys. Five guys aren't going to play. I mean, one, until one of them gets hurt, you know, or one jumps the other. If Watson jumps, you know, a couple of guys. Rodgers. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, Murray Rodgers, who had a very good game. Um, I thought that was the first time they used him like the player he was at Clemson. And, and it – Paid off. He looked pretty good. And we saw that in practice during the week. And not to switch gears, Cassidy, but I think that I think the running I th- I think the running back situation is very fascinating as well with Tyler Goodson having the the game he did. Uh, but we saw Amari Rogers start to get some practice reps in the backfield as a running back. Ty Montgomery flashbacks, and I just don't know that they're going to keep two running backs or three running backs on this fifty three. Now, practice squad elevations can help with that, but also having an emergency guy like Amari Rogers who can take snaps in the backfield as a running back can help with that too. It almost seemed like they were kind of gearing toward that role a little bit where, where they, they might be a little light in the backfield, but hey, they, they've got a, a guy in Amari Rogers that can do both, including being a running back some. Yeah, and I mean, let, let's face it, if, if they lose Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, you know, they're not going to the Super Bowl. Tyler Goodson isn't going to lead them to the Super Bowl. Now, <laughs> you could say, well, what about James Starks? Yeah. James Starks came out of absolutely nowhere and became the uh, postseason hero. Uh, but I, I still, Goodson has flaws, and I think they're fine cutting him and Patrick Taylor and 
signing them to the practice squad. I don't think that'll be a problem either. And I think you're right. Amari Rodgers is the third running back. And that's an emergency. That's an emergency back. But if they lose Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon, no matter who comes in, whether you put, play pure running back or not, they're in an emergency. So that's that's what that's for. And the other thing is, think back a, a year ago when we saw Kylan Hill. Kylan Hill was in a different gear than Tyler Goodson. I mean, he was – the minute you saw him, you were like, what the heck? Why did he last so long in the draft? There was some reason. But, boy, he, he was explosive, more so than Tyler Goodson. I wonder if – I wonder if Kylan Hill changes that three running back thing. We, that's the that's the unknown that we we just. I mean, right now he's still on pup. Yeah, and they have pup, a month. What we don't know is how he comes back from ACL. Right. Is he still in that same gear? Yeah. And if he is, then that yeah, he's probably the third running back. If he's not, they keep it with. It's just it's a big wild card. When Patrick Taylor was on the roster last year as the third running back, that was post Amari Roger, or that was post Kylan Hill, right? Yes. And that's why yes. he was there. Yeah, I think they can go four weeks, whatever it takes to get Kylan Hill ready. Amari Rogers is the third running back. And when Kylan Hill comes back, then they'll make a spot for him. Because he, he might be their kickoff guy, too. And the thing you said about the receiver, and every team has their own Juwan Winfrey's and Samari Torres, it's the same at running back. I mean, every team's got their running back that, that they feel good about. They want to keep. So running Tyler Goodson getting through. Get Tyler Goodson getting through the the waiver. There's a real real good chance of that happening. And then you're, he's your third running back as a practice squad elevation guy. I'm going to argue your point there, mm-hmm. that running backs are a dime a dozen. I think in this league, with the way football has been going the past five, ten years, seven on seven becoming more of an emphasis, and how much running backs get beat up especially coming out of college I would say receivers are a dime a dozen not a running back y'all both look like you're contemplating I am I would say there are more receiver options than there used to be but there's not as many great receivers I think we're, we're still limited by the number of great receivers I think you can win with running backs who aren't great I think in the NFL you can win with um, guys who are just okay. I think it depends on who's the receiver and who's the running back because, and this is probably true of most positions, right, but your average NFL starter at either position, meh, you know, he's going to make some contributions sometimes but not be a difference maker. But there's difference makers running backs. We saw that in Aaron Jones, right? There's difference makers at receiver. Devontae Adams those guys are not a dime a dozen like those guys are superstars and they they tilt the field but the -the run-of-the-mill average NFL starter at most positions including those two you can you can find those guys you could find uh you know they drafted Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams what fourth and fifth round Mm -hmm. so to me that's that's a dime you know, that they didn't expend a ton of draft capital on two running backs who are almost, well, one of them's a starter for sure, and the other is, a, you know, part-time starter. You know, from a draft standpoint, it's easier to find running backs day three than receivers. But neither is a position where if you look, really look at that the production by round by round that you 
really need to go in the first round for. Because receivers, it's earlier than day three, but that second day for receivers, second, third round receivers, they that's the sweet spot at receiver. Whereas, yes, I, I do think that uh, from a number standpoint, you can find more productive running backs later in the draft than receiver. Two years ago, when I was covering the Jags, they cut Leonard Fournette to keep an undrafted free agent. And at the time, we were like, what the heck are they doing? And then that undrafted free agent became James Robinson, who, you know, led rookies in his rookie year. So I guess it's just, you know, evaluating the talent you have. Yeah, and it's money, it's cap, it's the shelf life of running backs is not very long. It's, you know, two or three years, really. I mean, you look at Todd Gurley was on top of the world, you know. I mean, he was unstoppable running back, and within a year he's – is he even on a team right now? I don't think so. I don't think he is. That's That would be interesting to know. It's it's just, you know, that's why those guys got to make all the money they can as fast as they can. That's not a question. That's not a question that is without a local angle, too, because so long, I mean, Aaron Jones is on top of the world right now. There are not a lot of guys in this league that can do what he does. And I don't just mean as a runner, but as a receiver and literally line up all over the formation. Not a lot of running backs do that. But it is a very quick shelf life. So, I mean, the Packers have to be wondering, you know. But as far as this season, I think you feel good with, with just the two and, and kind of patching together your third running back situation. Because of that shelf life and because of the Packers' current receiver situation, it almost works in Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon's favor that they're probably going to be used 50-50 this year as a running back and a pass-catching option. And it, so with that being said, while we're just – let's wrap up this third running back discussion with cuts coming – Spoon, I know you've looked into this, and, and Ryan, you as well. Do they value in that third running back someone who can be an additional pass-catching option, someone who's a better pass blocker, or someone who can just contribute on special teams? Well, I think we're talking about Amari Rogers here. That's what we're talking about, and he does both those things. And when Kylan Hill comes back, uh, assuming he's physically ready, he'll – be in that group as well. And that that's what it is. And as, like LaFleur said, you got to play special teams if you're going to be the number three running back. Well, Amari Rogers, if he's the number three, is their top returner. And Kylan Hill would be a returner if he were. That's a good point because Rogers can play receiver or back. I really think it's special teams, pass pro, what you can do with the ball in that order. Well, we've kind of uh, – hammered the offense there let's switch to the defensive side we've seen a few more cuts in the secondary just because of injuries last week I mean is that somewhere where you think that they they cut a few more and then bring a veteran in or or who do they have right now with Darnell Savage probably coming back Adrian Amos Sean Davis I'm trying to think of who else is in there I mean Dallin Levitt will be coming back which way do you think they go with the safety unit Ryan I had them keeping four. Um, it's a real shame for Ennis Gaines because I think that his versatility when healthy and his special teams aptitude might have had a, a place on this roster. Uh, but having the second hamstring, I spoke with him today in the locker room. He said that it's very minor, but that's that's rare if it is because usually you have a second hamstring pull right after the first and it's worse. And that's usually how it goes. So maybe he dodged one there, but... I think that that you know it's it's a shame for him and for the Packers that he was not able to get a full camp because the, he's a guy that can line up in the slot, which hey they need some depth there. Uh, he's a guy that played corner and had moved to safety when he got here and then picked up safety okay. 
Um, but yeah, I, I, it's it's going to be it's going to be special teams in, in, in the secondary behind the first five. That reminds me, or let me throw this in there real quick. I was talking to Eric Stokes today in the locker room, and Jerry came in, Jerry Gray, OG, what, isn't that what they call him? And he told Rasul, he said, I'm trying to remember exactly what he said, something about you're moving to money, so-and-so's moving up. And Rasul went down to the safeties to relay the message. And I was in the middle of talking to Stokes, so I didn't catch it all. But I could tell Stokes kind of looking, and I looked at him, and I said, did he just change y'all's lineup? And he said, I think he did. And so who who knows what sort of decisions they're making, but they do have to make some of these hard decisions in the next couple of days. Safety um, unit, go. I was going to – you mentioned Guinness about it. Uh, Guinness. Guinness Gaines about it. <laughs> you just gave him you a cool You know what's on my <laughs> mind. Uh, you know, it, it, you were saying it's a shame. It's actually probably to the benefit for the Packers that he didn't play and they can cut him and probably get him back right away because there's not a lot of scouting on him. And I think he is a good player. Remember, he's a guy who missed his whole senior year. I forgot what the injury was, a foot or something like that, and really hasn't played much. And he's he, right. He's a slot guy. He's not really a safety. He came into the league as a slot guy, and you can't have too many of those guys. He's big, and he plays good special teams. So uh, I, I think – you know, the fact that they got Savage back today and they got Levitt back, that's pretty big. So I, I think they're pretty secure there if they keep if they keep four. They just got to keep those five guys healthy. And when I say the five, the secondary, the three corners, the two safeties, they got to keep them healthy because what you've seen all preseason is that if there's a weak link, if there's one injury, the depth falls off pretty quick. I, I will say I've been kind of impressed with Shamar uh, Jean-Charles. Like, he, he's improved quite a bit. Last year he was not ready to play in the slot. And I watched him, and he, he played outside against Kansas City and played pretty well. And Keyshawn Nixon can play the slot, too. He's not bad. They uh, actually lined Keyshawn Nixon up in the slot a couple of times last week at practice. Aaron Rodgers oh, yeah, was talking. the slot. That's pretty, almost predominantly. Aaron Rodgers was talking this this past time um, at at his locker, and um, he he I talked to him about the defense, and he said that you know when you can cover this this way, you're you're really solid. And he made a point to mention that he really likes their top three corners, but he's like there's there's a fourth and a fifth, and he won't say names, but a fourth and a fifth who have really developed he thinks into solid NFL corners. And after the gaggle. Walked away. I, I go up to him real quick because he didn't say a name. I, I, I said fourth and fifth are, are Shamar and and uh, Nixon. And he's like maybe, but I you know so he wouldn't confirm it. But I think that that's who he meant because you're right. Those two have looked pretty good. With that said, the secondary as a whole, the depth there. There's a, a lot of long touchdowns this preseason. And this Gaines was sidelined with injury his junior and senior season of uh at tcu yeah i knew he had been out for a long time wasn't there didn't he like get injured when he first got here too because um he was like working for doordash yeah i remember that you almost just have to wonder if he's just injury prone if he's one of those guys that can't stay healthy could be could be yeah hate it for him let's move up to the defensive line as deep as it's been in a long time that makes cuts even harder how many how many would you safely say they could keep there to keep that depth? Yeah, to keep that depth. Wait, 
could keep or will keep? Those are two different both. things. Answer both. Start with could keep. Well, I don't think it's there's a lot of uh, question there, is there? I mean, you didn't really. The only question mark to me was Chris Slayton. I think that's an interesting debate, though, between Heflin and Slayton. And, and I think Slayton is a guy who's probably going to be on the practice squad, but a guy that just kind of like Jack Heflin last year, he's made plays. There, there's, there's something there. He's very different than Jack Heflin, too, because Jack Heflin, what do they call him? The trash can full of dirt. Why? Because he's tough to move in the run game, but he doesn't have the quick twitch. Chris Slayton is the opposite of that. He is, I mean, the way he, I talked to him in the locker room today. He ran a 5-1 flat 40, which, by, by, well, he, he wasn't happy with it. And I, but I would have thought he was a sub-5 guy with the way that he's getting off the line of scrimmage. I mean, I, I told I was like, wow, I, I would have thought it would be better than that because his get off is there's there's twitch there and so he's he's ahead his game in in pass rush than run defense which is the opposite of Jack Heflin. I think that's an interesting decision. I had Heflin on my fifty three because he he's had a good camp. Uh, he's had another just like last year. He's had another good camp. But if you keep Heflin and Slayton, you're looking at seven defensive linemen. You can make a case for seven defensive linemen, but there's no way they're keeping seven defensive linemen as a number. So I think that that's six defense. I, I think they keep six. They keep one of Heflin or Slayton, the others through the practice squad. And I, I, I guess I flipped my coin and it came up Heflin, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if it came up Slayton. Yeah, I'd go with Heflin too. I just, I think, I, you know, people with size and a little bit of mobility and show up every single every single game or preseason he shows up and so that that tells you something so um yeah i think it, i think it's six i don't really we're talking about um them playing uh clark uh jern reed um dean lowry those three are going to rotate amongst the they play so much nickel amongst the two. And then when they go base, it'll be those three. And then um, Slayton will get mixed in there. Devontae Wyatt, I think that's going to be a slow process. He's he's really finding out about the pro game. That, one, he needs to get a lot stronger. And, two, he's um, he's he's got to do more than just try to be an athlete. He's got that happened for Kenny Clark too. Yeah, it, it happens to all of them. All of them. They dominate so badly in in college, you know, against these slow-footed offensive linemen they might face, and then they get to the NFL and and it's a whole different ballgame. Kenny Clark didn't do much until the end of his rookie year, and you started to see it. There was a game in Dallas, I think it was, where I think I don't know if that was his first sack off the top of my head, but you you saw some pass rush, and it was it was late, you know. The, going back to the Heflin and, and Slayton, it, it comes down to what they feel like they need more. Right. And what's interesting about that is Kenny Clark's the interior pass rusher, right? Well, they, they've got a guy in Devontae Wyatt who's a first-round pick that is also the interior pass rusher that they want. With that said, they Kenny Clark is their interior anchor in the run defense, and they've got a guy in TJ Slayton who's kind of that same interior anchor in the run defense. So they go too deep in both of those. We're talking three deep now with Heflin and Slayton, and, and I, I, 
what do you need more? I, I don't I don't know which one they really need more. It's, it's pretty close when it comes to that. Which one plays more on special teams? Well, um, Heflin plays, I think, on field goal unit, and, yeah, that's and but that's deal. that's about it. Yeah, I I just I think they have the interior speed guys, and plus they have the ability to move. Uh, Gary inside, which they've shown, and Preston Smith inside, and and they need to stop the run. That's that's going to be a big deal this year, and so that's why I kind of I'm leaning towards him. I am too. I put him on my 53. Let's move to special teams, guys. I know there's still a lot of question with Mason Crosby and whether or not he will be ready for Week One. Are the questions the answer? I don't think we know be quite frank I don't and I don't think I'm not sure they know yet that's what I mean by is the fact that there's still questions sort of your answer I'm like okay we're as we record this we're two days away before they have to make this decision um less than 48 hours and he hasn't been activated now we were discussing earlier why why might that be okay well maybe they don't want to let other teams know what they're going to do with um Ramiz Ahmad who has had a phenomenal training camp I mean came in late he's a USFL guy he's hit everything his kickoffs have been decent uh he you know I think they had the option if they're not sure about Crosby to just wait and and go with Ahmad. Now, it's a little bit of a risk. He hasn't kicked in an NFL game under pressure with, you know, 70,000 or 60,000 and that stupid horn going off all the time, you know. Uh, That could be huge, you know, and he might kick it, you know, like Burkich did, that hook shot. So I don't know. But uh, Crosby will be their kicker at some point this year. The just question is, is he – you know, do they feel good enough for him to be the starter? And I think they're going to wait till the very last minute well, to let us everybody know. The huge difference between those two is the institutional knowledge of Lambeau Field. Mm-hmm. It's not even I don't you know I don't even think it's the crowd and, and noise and it, it's kicking in this Rubik's cube of a stadium with all the different with the cold, but the wind patterns. The wind patterns are crazy in this stadium because it bounces right. Yeah. So basically, if you're standing at field level. In Lambeau Field, there's two American flags on what is it, the south or north end zone? I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, on the north, my end. internal compass is off. So on the north end zone, there's two American flags, and they're blowing in over the stadium. The wind's bouncing off the stands, the bowl, and it's you're actually if if you're back, it's to the flags that's blowing in over the stadium. You're actually kicking into the wind because it's bouncing right back at you. Yeah, you have to look at the flags on the goalposts yeah. too. Yeah, those are usually swirling. It, Mason Crosby knows how to get through all that. Um, you were making the point, Spoon, why the just the, the fact that they hadn't activated him yet might also not be a tell either because they're going to want Ahmed. Yes, and, they're going to want him back on the practice squad if they're going to activate him. And so if they release him or if they if they activate Mason Crosby now, it's it's a neon sign to the rest of the league that hey, this guy's coming open. Get your get your film study in. Whereas if you wait until the last minute with Mason Crosby, you're not tipping your hand. You're you're not it's not a tell. Yeah, some team might say, "Look, we don't know for sure if they're going to go with uh 
Ahmad, so we'll trade for a kicker somewhere else. They'll go and get a kicker, and then, you know, that way the Packers will be like, have kind of waited it out, and so that team is out of the picture because they went and traded for a kicker. So I don't know. that That's a scenario that they may be looking at. But I, I think it, Crosby was pretty confident that he was going to be ready to kick. I don't think we're going to know. We'll know on Tuesday. Once We'll know then. And I then we'll see. I don't think we know about Crosby. I, I don't think. I think the only one that we know about is Pat O'Donnell. Because I don't. I don't think we know about Long Snapper either. I talked with Jack Coco in the locker room today, and he it kind of was, it, you know, very um, transparent about that moment that they cut Stephen Wordle. He didn't even know it. Someone told him, and then it was just like, uh, oh, that, that's. I mean, I'm the only one left. Like it's it's my job to go win now, and that revelation to him. But there's also he's not the only one left because it's every other long snapper that's on the market that they can just bring in. So he's still got to compete. And uh, they have brought in a few to try out. They have a lot, yeah. And so I don't know if we know what's going to happen me, there. The no, which tells we don't. me they're still looking. Yeah, I, I would say they're constantly looking. And but I would also say that we haven't seen any like glaring mistakes from him in the games. I he's been pretty solid in the games. So do you just? You've got your operation, as they like to call it. Do you just keep going with that, you know, and then see if he fails in the game? One of the things he said is that with with Pisaccia, the the special teams drills are so chaotic. He said that that was the word he used, chaotic, in terms of the pressure and and doing it one after another, after another rapid fires, that when you get into the games, it's just one. And it's a lot easier to focus on that one, your footwork, your hands, everything because you've been doing it rapid fire, that that's something that he's felt was uh, helpful when it comes to the games. I, th- I thought it was interesting with Coco. You know, he didn't really snap punts in college, and so and, and he's handled that fine so far. There hasn't he's been a three-year offensive snaps, lineman. Hasn't been any low snaps, anything like that. And so, uh, yeah, he he has been fine. But as we said, they are still looking. Going back to. Ahmad and the institutional knowledge that Crosby has. When he first got here, I remember talking to him about that. He's like, I've never kicked in the cold. And, and he said, and Mason has told me that the wind is weird in Lampeau. They don't get to kick on this field until it's game time. So it's not like he can go out there and practice. Um, well, I guess he had the preseason game they, versus the Saints. I don't know. Like Crosby during the week of a season goes and kicks in Lambeau on Friday. Okay. But – I don't know if they've allowed them to do that here. I mean, why wouldn't you let them go out? They treat the They're grass very like, of their yes, grass. yes, exactly. Like it's, you know, pristine and, and, um, but so I don't know if he's gotten a chance to do that, but he did kick, you know, in the preseason game. And the, the wind is really the, a bigger issue than the cold because the wind is all year. The wind is September. It's uh, you remember that I forget what year it was, Spoon, but that Packers Vikings game where nobody could make a field goal in the, or, or early, and that was a September game a couple seasons ago, and they both both sides. I mean, and they were just looking at the goalposts like like in defeat, like what is what is going on here with this win? That's week one through January, and the cold obviously then compounds that late November into December. But that, that that wind is insane. And and it's not just here. I mean, remember the Cincinnati game last year? Yep. I mean, that was just insane. And, and Any, it, anywhere on the water. The anywhere two, on the water. Is two be of like the that. best kickers in, in the game, 
and he couldn't hit for five. anything. They yeah. missed five between them, right? Yeah. I'll never forget that game. That that game was nuts. Like, and then they couldn't miss towards the end of the game. <laughs> Kept sending it into extra. Um, where where was I going next with this? Oh, the special team still. I did have a funny story about the grass, though. You were talking about how protective they are their grass. Mm-hmm. So last week I was out there just like scouting stuff for a video, and some of the field guys were out there. And, you know, they have all these different machines. So I was asking them what they do. It was funny because I just had a conversation with someone about why teams will go with turf, that it's cheaper, even though it's not as safe for guys, you know, as we discussed with the Packers bringing their guys back possibly in Minnesota on turf. And then you look at a field like – I think Chicago had just had their preseason game, and that's grass, but there were divots all over the field. Oh, that's a notoriously bad. Yes, yes it is. And, and I've heard that – Lambo used to be notoriously bad, and then they've put a lot of work into it over the past 10 years. You know, they've got, like, those miles and miles of tubing underneath it. Anyways, they were pulling the machines off the field. So I was like, what did they do? Because they, they all look the same. And he goes, well, this one uh, measures the temperature in the sun. This one measures the temperature in the shade. And this one measures the temperature of foot underground because they have to all be consistently the same. So we need to water and or shade different parts of the grass differently depending on what temperature they are at the time. Yeah, and, you know, players, because of the shadows and stuff, players complain about the field being slippery because certain parts are, you know, there's dew and and then certain parts dry up and certain parts don't. But <laughs> they put so much into that. Um, you guys are way too young for this, but in the, uh, I think it was the 96 NFC championship game they replaced the whole middle of the field the week of the game it's grass and and they had just played the 49ers in the rain and it was just torn up but that's what they used to do they just replaced the whole thing and George Toma the the genius uh, groundskeeper from Kansas City came in and he was in charge of it and off they went it was terrible <laughs> it, was, it was awful but you know that's what they did so you know this stuff is so high tech it's just ridiculous it is you said you had another point about special teams you wanted to make um so we were talking about it and uh i think one of the things that bodes well i guess for them or or not as badly as it seemed so i was looking at it and some of the guys who are going to be playing on special teams are starters. I mean, Eric Stokes is going to be on special teams. Um, uh, Darnell Savage might be on special teams. Uh, Rasul Douglas will be on special teams. Josiah DeGuara is going to be on special teams. You know, there's a lot of guys. They could bring in Adrian Amos, could play special teams. Uh I think we're going to see until they until they get this thing in order. I think we're going to see some starters playing special teams. One thing that we missed when talking about the offense earlier was the offensive line. Let's jump back to that. Matt Lafleur was very vague today about Elton Jenkins and, and Spoon. You pushed him, and he became even more vague, and uh, didn't really want to say what might be going on with him. Might not any concern there. I, I mean. This this line is still, at least in parts of it, seems to be set, but also in flux. Does that make sense? Well, the difficult part about it is they don't have to do an injury report till next week. Mm-hmm. So right now they don't have to say anything about it. 
we saw him riding the bike. Who knows? Was it an elbow injury? Is it a, you know, I don't know. It could have been anything. Could have been a head thing, maybe banged heads or something. Maybe he had COVID for all we know. They don't tell us that either. So, you know, maybe f- five days, maybe this is his day back. I, I wouldn't go with any of those. I have no idea. But um, the fact he was there, at least, and riding the bike is usually a good sign that the guy's not, you know, laid up with a cast or something like that. What we know is that it's not a personal reason because he was there. Yeah. And, and it's and, not a knee. We were told it's not a knee injury, not part of the knee injury. Yeah, because the way that Matt LaFleur said it was that it was not necessarily planned, but we're going to keep it internal. Yeah. So that, to me, opened the possibility, but he was there. He wasn't absent. So it's not a personal thing. You're right, Spoon. The Packers emphasized that this had nothing to do with the knee. Maybe he went to join Tom Brady on the mass singer and just got cut really quick. Maybe. I don't know. It could be a possibility. I love the, keep the conspiracy theories coming. Let's, you know, here's a conspiracy theory. They put him out because they don't want the Vikings to know that he's going to be starting at right tackle. Hey, there was a fighter jet uh, la- la- Tuesday that was flying, and it, 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 I, I, I can't confirm or deny it was purple, and it had a, it had a skull written on, on the side of it, but. That it thing was loud, too, and it flew it right, it flew low over the practice field. I mean, we could have seen what color socks the pilot was wearing if we really looked. It was low, low. It's almost like that thing broke the sound barrier. It did break the sound barrier. Yeah, that it was did. insane. It was insane because you saw it and then you heard it. And that's, I don't know a lot about science, but that seems to me like it broke the sound barrier. Good thing I'm deaf that I couldn't hear it. It was a little uncomfortable. It was loud when you heard it too. No, what day was this? Tuesday. Tuesday. I think it was Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah. I've been out at every practice. Maybe you were running a couple minutes. Maybe I was late. Yeah. You would have remembered it if you heard it. Um, Speaking of breaking sound barriers, that might be the... fans reaction when David Bakhtiari finally does come back you like that transition there you go well done we don't know any more about him today than we did last week either safe to say except that he practiced except that he practiced and that's a that's a positive sign because he didn't and and it might indicate that they're actually telling the truth that it was a rest day that's why it's positive because they said when he missed Tuesday's practice they said this is part of the planned ramp up Recovery timetable. No alarms here. Which is the exact same sentence that they said last November when he was activated on PUP. The difference being we didn't see him come back. Like he he you know, he he missed it and then he had surgery. And so for him to be back in pads today, that's that's a positive thing. When he lines up at left tackle in a stadium that's full of people, then we'll know he's yes. back. Yes. Until then, we don't know. And that's when the sound barrier will be broken. Yes. Especially if it's, it's like probably here, with that horn, here you know? versus Chicago Sunday night. That horn. <laughs> You're going to make some Vikings fans mad. That's oh, the second time now I you, know. you've I, uh, I will say horn. for um, – it's not that I'm anti-Vikings. I loved the Metrodome. You know, that thing was a great place to watch a game. Uh, but that thing just kind of hurts my ears. Well, it's one of the few stadiums in the league that's an open-air press box too. 
So you don't just they don't just play the horn. You get all the horn that we're not we're not used to that noise. To go back to go back to all my um, I'm always going retro on you guys. I'll never forget there was a practice where the Packers actually had Steve McMichael, the former Bear, for a year, and they were playing the Vikings that week, and he took one of those red cones and he started blowing <laughs> on it during practice. <laughs> It was, it was really funny. I thought that was hilarious. I, we should ask LaFleur if he plans on, like, replicating that horn in practice for the rookies next yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, they should. They should. That's a great – as you all know, I spent a lot of time in Florida. They play Utah next week for their opener, and Utah has been purposely practicing inside and cranking up the heat to try to replicate the humidity. It's good, good luck with that. And I'm yeah. like, you, you can't replicate you can, it. You can't replicate Florida and Utah. No, you can't, and not at all. Um, will be interesting. I, with that in mind, um, a lot of the guys I know are, are going to get to go home this weekend over Labor Day weekend, take in some of their, their alma maters on their opening weekends. Um, but that will be after the cuts. We will have practice on, like I said, Monday. They're off on Tuesday. They make their cuts. They come back and practice on Wednesday. And then they're off Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So a good long Labor Day weekend. Be sure we promote the live blog on Cut Day. Um, During the blog, I mentioned we weren't sure because we didn't know when the Packers are going to make their cuts. But they're going to make their cuts on Tuesday. So I'll be there all day, and and Ryan and Cassidy will be um, filling uh, me with information and feeding me information, and we'll have as many of the cuts as we can get. Fastest typer in the business right here. You literally see the smoke coming off the keyboard. Thankfully, on cut day, it's not about speed. <laughs> it's about it's, accuracy. It's a long, long day. So It's a marathon, not a sprint. Yep. Yeah. Well, as Spoon said, stay tuned to his live blog. And stay tuned to PackersNews.com for full coverage as they ramp up towards cut day and then cut day and then signing back their 16 practice squad players which will be really interesting to kind of see who lands there as well that's that's a significantly large practice squad yeah it is to know it really that, is. yeah to know that you've got that and you can have 16 to possibly bring back guys any final thoughts your final 60 seconds um it's kind of nice to know that uh we're at the finish line of camp and um, nice to know that we have a weekend where we don't have to be up here as well. But uh, I, I'm just I'm ready for real football. You know, I, I've once the cuts are made, then we'll know a little bit more, and then all it'll all be talking about Packers Vikings, and I'm kind of ready to go there. You're ready for real football. You didn't watch Nebraska Northwestern I yesterday. I didn't. I didn't. I I did it was watch on a Twitter. Great game. Yeah, I did see the um, absolute. Um, demolition of poor Scott Frost. He an onside kick up 11 in I the know, third quarter. That, that, that was, was a choice. Good. That was a not choice. Good. Sorry, we got off track. Ryan, well, your final thought? Cassidy, I told you that any time from here until uh, October that you give me this platform, we're going to be talking about the Mets. But I can actually spin this uh, and localize this a little bit. So the Mets had um, their first old-timers day. They're 60 years old this season formed in 1962 since 1994 and it was amazing from a fan perspective you might know the answer to this spoon i don't know i don't mean to get on a tangent here the packers ever done like an old timers day type event because it was really really cool from a fan's perspective well they do do alumni day every opening um day at lambeau field but it's not like 
everybody comes. I think for the 75th anniversary, they did a huge reunion. Um, but, it, it, you know, the significance of the Mets is there probably still guys alive from the beginning of the Mets. Well, no, I suppose not 60 years. That's- well, there, there, there was a few that like uh, uh, they, the first uh, winning pitcher in Mets history uh, was there. But, it, you know, the cool part about it, and, and it's different because baseball and football are not the same sport obviously, especially when you get to a certain age. But, I mean, it was, you know, they played a game. They played, like, three innings. So you saw, like, you saw, like, Doc Good, uh, Gooden pitch to Mike Piazza. Like, it, it was, like, it was amazing to I see. I used to love those old-timer games. Yes, it was incredible. Do. Back it, in the day, the Brewers would do that, too. That was that was fun. And so I'm thinking, like, the Packers ought to do something where, like, they get, like, and who knows if Brett Favre would come back, but Brett Favre is, is throwing to – you know, uh, a receiver of a different generation in flag football. It's not tackle. We're not trying to kill anyone here, right? Be a lot of um, there would be a lot of plastic, a lot of knees. You know, yes, and- yes. But but nice and light flag football. I'm not talking about you know strap the pads on or anything. But that'd be a cool event for the Packers. You could probably convince Brett Favre to do it and just like call it a Copperfit commercial because doesn't he play football in yeah. all those commercials? Yeah, he he'd have to be paid to come in. Uh, was Nolan Ryan there? He was not. Oh, I know. Jerry Kuzman, is he still alive? He's Yeah, you know, he was not there. Um, Cleon Jones? Cleon Jones was there. Yeah, that was cool. I'm trying to think of um, Matt. This is from my old Stratomatic days when I used to know all the um, – Ed Cranepool was there. Ron Swoboda was there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Those are names. I'm trying to think of their big pitching staff. They had four – Awesome starters. Um, Seaver, Kuzman. Oh, yeah. Seaver, of course. Yeah, Kuzman, of course. Ryan. Anyway. Okay. That's it. <laughs> so every time you tell me 60 seconds, Cassie, it's going to be a uh, Let's Go Mets moment. We spun it. That works. I mean, and there's, they're not going to play a game, but there will probably be a decent reunion when they put Leroy up in the ring, right? Yeah. There will probably be a number of guys who come, but uh, it'll be interesting. Uh, alumni Day, they'll have quite a few. Back to like seeing old timer in baseball. I was at this game when I was in high school. I was like a special guest. We were on the field. It was like a USA versus Japan, like friendly baseball game. And um, Ozzy Smith was there because he's from Mobile. And, you know, he's still like running around. And people wanted him to do the backflip like he used to do at shortstop. And he's like, I can't do that. But he's still, you know, running around, having fun. Well, then Hank Aaron threw out the first pitch because he's also from Mobile. And so you got Ozzy Smith out there running around on the field with all the fans. And then Hank Aaron, a car comes through the third gate fence line, pulls behind home plate. He gets out of the back of the car, walks to the pitcher's mound, throws the first pitch, gets back in the car, and, run, and the car drives him out the first base Good side. for Hank. Yep. Good. That's yep. exactly what he deserves. Exactly. That's the treatment he should get. Yep. And it was right after his record was broken. And oh, so it was almost man. like a bittersweet well, his moment. his record was broken right you know Asterisk. do you do you attribute to the fact that it wasn't real since it was I while he was on steroids it. no See, Aaron is the home run king I feel I feel different because the numbers are the numbers and it's part and it's part of the tainted history of baseball and it's it is you're right math is math but but there is an asterisk there too like it can it, it contextualizes yeah this is 756 so if you're a voter way. do you put McGuire and Sosa in the hall I do Smartly. I think the I think the Hall of Fame is part is a uh, museum telling the history of. I haven't spent film. enough time thinking about it. On the surface, no, but um, yeah, the, baseball. Like, Pete don't Rose? put me in the baseball thing because those guys they have all their you know 
rites and rituals and and um, they think way deeper than I do, baseball guys. So I can't really really tell you. Um, I just know that I, I think Hank Aaron was a legitimate everything he went through, and then to have some steroid guys break his record is just to me just disgraceful. I got a soft spot for Hank, obviously. Not only just loving baseball, but being from Mobile. Plus, That's... I saw him hit a home run. Too. Really? Yeah. When he was with when he was Milwaukee with Brewers. Brewers or yeah. Milwaukee yeah. Braves. Well, no, this is Brewers. I'm not that old. He came back from the Atlanta Braves and played his last two years with the Milwaukee Brewers. Okay. See, I'd probably like Hank Aaron more if he wasn't an Atlanta Brave. No, I'm just kidding. I, not I think, his fault. I think he Hank was Aaron's a Milwaukee hey, don't, Brave. Don't yell at me. He was a Milwaukee Brave, and they got moved to Atlanta right. thanks to Coca-Cola. Hank Aaron's great. Don't. That was a, one of the worst time, things that ever happened in Milwaukee. Anyway, we being from Mobile, we have a ton of like big name baseball players that came out of there: Hank Aaron, Ozzy Smith, Satchel Paige, Jake Peavy, who has won a couple of World Series. Um, so yeah, it's it's big baseball town. Fun. Paige, my mom saw Satchel Paige pitch. Really, that was mm-hmm. that's an old timer name mm-hmm. for you, right there, Satchel Paige. Anyways, well, we've spent a good 10 minutes talking about baseball now. so I tend to do that. 90% of the people have turned us off. It's not going to get better until the Mets lose in October. And, yes, they'll lose in October. But until then, it's not going to get better. Doesn't Wild Card Weekend start in September? No. It doesn't? Nope. Really October 11th or something like that is when the playoffs start. Okay. <laughs> Anyways. Mr. November, they're going to start calling guys. I know. That, it, is, it is too late. Um. For all your Packers coverage, <laughs> stay tuned to PackersNews.com. As I said, we get, we will cut down to 53 on Tuesday, and then we'll really see kind of how this roster shapes up and then get ready for Minnesota. I'm going to bring in a horn for our next podcast, Boone. Okay. And blow it on you, get you ready. I'll turn my hearing aid down. <laughs> for Tom and Ryan, I'm Cassidy. This has been the Green 19 Podcast from JS Online and PackersNews.com.